I'm Stephen John Drew from Better Podcasting, a podcast about podcasting, part of the Gunna Geek Network. Just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find fantastic geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You are listening to the Starling Tribune, a podcast dedicated to the Arrow TV show. I am the Green Arrow. The Green Arrow has entered through the front door. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, situations, and stories are the properties of Time Warner. I am the Oracle, and this is your Tribune. Welcome back to Earth 2's final and last newspaper, the Starling Tribune. Now broadcasting from our Earth One shelter. I am the chief editor tonight. My name is SP and your other award-winning reporter for this episode number 257 of the Starly Tribune is Chris. The crisis has begun. And as Barry Allen said over on The Flash this week, we've already beaten crisis before it began. And then the sky turned red. This podcast is recorded on Thursday, December 5th, 2019, which is four days before December 9th, 2019 at 11.58 p.m., which was when every single episode had the same post-credit scene leading up to Crisis. And we are live on www.geeks.live. That's right. And this evening, we'll be discussing the latest episode of Arrow, as well as news, interviews, articles, and announcements have dropped recently that could and probably will impact future episodes of Arrow, as well as the rest of the universe, like Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, Black Lightning, anything else they come up with. Guys, it's crisis time. We're talking about everything. It's crisis time. And if you're new to the show, thank you for searching us out on the internet and also joining us after the show. Please check out our content over at gunnageek.com, where you can also find other geeky videos, podcasts, and articles. Thanks a lot, Chris. So what we've got going on tonight, if you haven't been cognizant of the fact that Michelle hasn't said anything, is that it is just the two guys tonight. It is just Chris and myself. So we're going to muddle on without Michelle. She's actually given us show notes, so we should be okay. You know, Michelle has had her crafting on the episode, but she's not here tonight. So I'm sure you'll hear from her later to correct us on anything that we get wrong. But since Michelle is not here this week, Chris, why don't you go ahead and break down the current episode for us? Ooh, this is this is different for me. I don't get to break down the episodes very much. So we are talking about Season 8, Episode 7 of Arrow, entitled Purgatory. It aired Tuesday, December 3rd, 2019. The director, one of our favorites, James Bamford himself. He's done 18 episodes of Arrow one episode of Supergirl, and done a lot of stunt coordinating for the series as well prior to sitting in the director's chair. Our writers this week, Rebecca Bellotto, who's done 10 episodes of Arrow, and Rebecca Rosenberg, who has done two episodes of Arrow. All in all, pretty solid team we had together this week for our final episode before Crisis. A lot of cool stuff going on, and a lot of action scenes that really just kind of worked perfectly having James Banford involved. So that is what we had this week for our background, before we get into the actual meat of the show itself, we do have to look at the ratings from this last week. So SP, what do you got for us ratings wise? We had all five CW shows that are currently airing that are DC comic book related that aired this week before crisis. 
Now, remember, Legends of Tomorrow did not air this fall, so they will not be included in the ratings. They premiere in January after Crisis. But let's start on Sunday, the 1st of December, with Batwoman that aired the 8th episode of the first season, titled A Mad Tea Party. This is basically the mid-season finale for Batwoman, and it was a live rating of 1.01. Supergirl aired the eighth episode of their fifth season, The Wrath of Rama Khan. And even though I did like the actor that played Rama Khan, because, of course, I'm a Stargate fan and the actor was on Stargate Atlantis, it had a live rating of 0.85. And I think I think it was getting a little bit of an uptick because of Crisis and because it was the mid-season finale. But just did not like the uh, I, it's the whole lena luther thing and chris you, you haven't seen the episode but you've been following the strife that the fans have had i'm aware that the fans are not quite happy that lena's in the middle of a heel turn and unhappy with Kara for having not shared her secret and feeling like she was kind of made a fool of and it's kind of a bummer because those two actors have great chemistry with each other they play off of each other really well and to have them at odds, I can understand why the fans would be like, man, I don't think I like this. I don't want to, I don't want to see these two mad at each other. No, and I think that's what a lot of fans have going on because they did not bring the character in to be that antagonist. They brought the character in originally as a friend for Kara and they just, they got to get back to that. And I think the damage is already done, unfortunately, because I do like Supergirl as a character. So we'll move on to Monday, the 2nd of December. Black Lightning aired the 8th episode of the 3rd season, The Book of Resistance, Chapter 3, The Battle of Franklin Terrace. I gotta say, yeah, it's still Occupation, could care less. This allegedly ended the Occupation, so we'll see what happens with the series afterwards, but there is a whole bunch of bad stuff that happened here in terms of story, in terms of plot, and I don't know if this is going to be able to be recovered it only had a live rating of 0.60 which is basically the mid-season finale the lightest of all the shows and i just it breaks my heart seeing it not succeed as much as it has or could but so is it a matter of quality or is it a matter of there's just too much stuff out there and people like i can't keep up with everything i think it's both i think the the quality for black lightning isn't there and there is a lot of other stuff that people can go and watch. Disney Plus came out. The Mandalorian. Everybody wants to watch The Mandalorian. Vikings started this week, and they aired three episodes of Vikings on the History Channel in their final season of the original show Vikings. Apparently, there's going to be a follow-on series. There's just a lot of quality stuff. That's fair. So we'll move on to Tuesday, the 3rd of December, where Flash aired its basically mid-season finale, the 8th episode of the 6th season, titled The Last Temptation of Barry Allen, Part 2, to a live rating of 1.32. And I'll have to admit, this is probably the best show of all five of them on the schedule right now, and it was the best mid-season finale that I saw, although Arrow wasn't close, it wasn't too far behind, it was pretty close. But yeah, The Flash deserved its top spot this past week. And even though there were some things with the episode that I didn't care for, I would have seen, would like to have seen done differently, it was pretty good. I mean, Chris, what do you know about Bloodwork and Dark Flash? 
I know he became the negative Flash last week, which is an iconic role out of the comics and even changed the color of his lightning and stuff like that. That being said, I don't know much about blood work other than the fact that something happened when he gave Ralph a blood transfusion and it caused him to have dreams with the speed force and some dark presence or whatever. And like I said, I haven't been watching Flash this season. I know that it's going to tie into Crisis and I followed along enough to figure out the Crisis connections, but this I didn't pay a ton of attention to other than what seemed like the post credits was the only real crisis tie-in so the one thing i have to say about the actor that played blood work is he was from heroes now you watched heroes at least season one season two right i watched it through the entire run and uh some would say that was a mistake near the end yeah i would say that too and i (laughs) I watched it to the bitter end the actor that played was from heroes and he had that kind of soothing overarching tone to him as he was doing narration and they did the same thing here with flash and part of me is like well you got a good thing keep going with it and the other part of me is saying okay you're redoing something that was done before and i don't know it just didn't work for me with flash i look for different things from flash and they they went to the heroes well with that which if that's what the actor brings to the table, that's what you go with, I guess. But I wish they would have done something differently. Then with Arrow, which was the seventh episode of the eighth season, which means there's three episodes left, including the one episode that is Crisis. So after Crisis, we'll have two episodes. But seventh episode of the eighth season titled Purgatory, a.k.a. Leon Yu, had a live rating of 0.83, which is one of the higher ratings for the episodes this year. And coming off of that reset episode last week that I had heartburn with, they did address some of the diggle issues that came out of that episode. And we'll talk about that later, but I still have heartburn with last week's episode. But I do think they rebounded pretty well with this. And I think the rating showed. Yeah, this was a solid episode. The ratings were good. You look at it, yes, it's the second to last rating, but hey, it almost beat Supergirl. And let's see what the live plus three DVR results are. And you might see there were a lot of people watching Arrow. There's a lot of buzz around Arrow on its on its final victory lap, for lack of a better term, that we're getting here at the end, because it's arguably been better than it has been in quite a few years, because they've got a small 10 episode run and they're just packing it full of good stuff. And the fans are responding like the Arrow subreddit had been pretty toxic for a while. And most of the comments you're getting on the Arrow subreddit are like, man, this has been a really good season. We're really enjoying this. Uh, it's really good. It's going out on top. There's no one being like, let's get another season. They're all like, we know it needs to end. So let's end in a good way. But I've been pleasantly surprised by that. And stepping back a second for Flash, I just, uh, you were talking about the actor who's playing Bloodwork. I had to go and pull the IMDb. It's like, who was it from Heroes? And I'm going to mess up his name, I'm sure, yeah. but Sandhil Ramamurthy, who played uh, Dr. Suresh in Heroes, one of the main characters in the show, he does have a very distinctive voice. So, yeah, he'd be great for voiceover work and stuff like that because he did a lot of the voiceover and introductory work in Heroes, and people got really used to that, too. And if you read DC Comics, which, Chris, I know you have in the past, you've read a lot of DC Comics. If you read DC Comics, they spend the first few pages in a lot of the episodes with that big buildup of where the character is or where the story is. And it's something Marvel doesn't necessarily do, but DC does it every time. It's like world building, big, huge, cosmic, and then you get down to the story. And 
is this is a DC property, so it fits the DC motif for the comic books at least. And I'm not saying anything bad against the actor, by the way. I think the actor has done a really good job in both roles and heroes in here. And I don't know what else he's been in, but it's the same role almost. It's not really a differentiation. Yes, he's a villain now. He wasn't a villain before. I guess he was kind of a villain. But it uh, depends on what season of heroes and what writers you had over in heroes right i thought he broke bad at some point on heroes i just wasn't sure i remembered correctly i think they all broke bad on heroes at some point that's true too so as i mentioned before in the intro all of these episodes all five of the episodes ended with the same and i'll just call it a cutscene. and it was of the hr that we have the wells that we have this year from flash which I'm not sure what earth he came from. I think they mentioned it somewhere along the lines, but it was the end scene to flash the flash episode. And that was then put in all five of the episodes that aired. So at the end of Batwoman, you watch all of Batwoman and then it cuts to this cut scene where you've seen Wells in front of um, the monitors, I don't know, gateway or tomb or whatever it is on earth one and he is trying to gain access and there's a conversation back and forth between the two and if you're just watching batwoman if you have not seen any of the other things you're like looking at this cutscene, going who is this guy what is going on and why is this in my batwoman show yeah so i felt like i was in a time loop because i was catching video clips on youtube like hey the last couple minutes of flash last couple minutes of supergirl and everything that's introducing this and I thought it was a glitch because you get a couple minutes from the show and then it was the same clip I was seeing of HR. I'm like, wait, what? Am, am I in the Groundhog Day episode of Arrow myself or something? What's going on here? <laughs> it was really weird. So I watched Batwoman and Supergirl basically back to back and I was like, what? wait a minute. Am I watch- Did I watch the right? Did the DVR switch, swap, whatever? So I went into the CW app. And I genned it up and then I went to the end of both episodes, which takes a while because you got to get through all the commercials that they stack in there when you skip ahead. So it's not just the beginning commercials. They actually stack extra commercials in if you skip actual commercial breaks. So I get to the end and I'm watching. Nope, that's the same. And get Supergirl. Nope, that's the same. And then the next day I watch Black Lightning like, oh, that is the same. That Okay. And then I get to Flash and I'm thinking this will be different. Nope, it was the same. Yeah, so evidently, in the minds of the producers and showrunners, this scene is very important because we got it after every episode the week before Crisis. So consider this a super important scene for us, otherwise they would not have made a point of pushing it so hard and making sure that if you're someone like myself who's not watching all of the shows currently and more just kind of keeping abreast of what's going on via YouTube videos and show reviews and recaps that you would see it on the shows that you do watch. So. HR's role here, very important. Like SP mentioned, lots of confusion. If you don't watch Flash, you're like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> What's Tom Cavanaugh doing on screen? Isn't he just JD's brother? <laughs> He's the bowling alley lawyer from Ed. Right. <laughs> What's he doing here? I don't understand. <laughs> uh, and true story, that's how I got my wife to watch some of the episodes of Flash. I was like, it's Ed, it's the bowling alley lawyer. And then when you got to the Flash episode, you did see exactly where that scene was coming from. He didn't just start there. There was a whole confrontation that happened at the end of Bloodwork that he had to deal with. 
before he got there. And you understood what he was saying at the end because he was saved by the monitor during that episode. So it didn't come out of nowhere. But again, if you're not watching The Flash in this scene did not air until the third night in this whole thing it was sunday monday tuesday it was the first episode on tuesday that you finally saw what everybody was talking about like if you are watching the flash and then you see this cut scene in batwoman supergirl and black lightning and you're going how did the monitor save wells what's going on here and you actually see it in the flash episode and then you see the same thing at the end of the arrow episode which we're going to talk about more in length here in a second and I was kind of hoping maybe there would be something different, but there's not. And honestly, when you think of this whole crisis, Chris, do you think Green Arrow or do you think Flash, probably Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman, right? When it comes to the shows, I guess my viewpoint's biased because like we mentioned, the only one I'm actually watching week to week right now is Arrow. So I actually do think Arrow because... A, it's what I watch all the time. It's what we focus on on this podcast. Now, if I had a more holistic view where I was watching most of the shows that are running right now, I would probably be thinking more along the lines of, oh, we've got the big heroes coming in to do this. But I think I'm just kind of looking at it as the the final chapter for Oliver Queen. And that's kind of what I've fixated on. I can very well see where a lot of people are like, oh, my God, it's all the Supermans and Supergirl and everyone meeting up. This is going to be great. Well, true. Now, if you're reading the comics or have read the comics, you know, it's broader and grander that's what i was referring to big role for flash in the comics which they teased since the very beginning of the flash tv show to be fair yeah they have and in the comics of course you got Hawkwoman in there you have a bunch of other main players which we haven't seen yet are you gonna lose it if she shows up like we've heard no reports of hawk girl on set but what are you gonna do if hawk girl shows up in crisis i'm gonna go to my keurig and say i don't need a barista i've got a keurig i got my own damn barista right here <laughs> And true story, my daughter's a barista right now, too, but I don't think she's going to be here Sunday. She's taking finals, so we'll see how it all <laughs> it all comes together. I'm, look, I'm really looking forward to next week. I had uh, dimmed all... The, as I was watching The Flash and the Arrow tonight, right before we podcasted, I decided to dim all the lights in the house. So the only light that was on was the Christmas tree, which I have up. And I put on my movie-going glasses, so not my bifocals or not my computer glasses. I actually had my movie-going glasses, and I sat back on the couch with the footrest up, just like you would at a movie theater. I tried to replicate mm -hmm. the modern movie-going experience as much as I could. I turned the volume up on my sound system, and I'm just like, okay, I'm going to go, and I'm going to like this and i'm going to experience it and i thought to myself you know sunday night i'm just going to do the same thing we to tell everybody in the house okay here's what's happening crisis is on this is something i've been podcasting about for seven years i'm going to go ahead and i'm going to enjoy it and i am going to treat it like a movie and if you guys have a problem with it you need to tell me now and i will make other arrangements but this is going to be the thing that's on tv don't worry about football. Don't worry about the Hallmark movies, the Hallmark holidays movies. It's crisis time. And if you don't like it, get the frack out of here. <laughs> Again, I've been leading up seven years for this on the Starling Tribune. So this is and we're, Starling Tribune is going to be ending after the arrow ends. So, yeah, this is it. This is the big finale. Looking forward to it. All right. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's talk about this purgatory episode. The overall theme 
And the episode's name is Purgatory, which we relate to the overall theme. I thought this was interesting. So we're back on Leon Yu, which we discovered last week. And the episode wasn't named Leon Yu. I think there was another episode that was named Leon Yu. But it was named Purgatory. And I think it was named Purgatory for a reason, because you had all these energy spikes, which brought back people that had been dead for 10 years or so. For an awful long time. And it also, those energy spikes sort of helped to explain why the island's not totally trashed like it should have been after Prometheus blew it up too. I think they used that as an aside for that. So smart move there. Uh, we got some science mumbo jumbo, which, hey, we're coming up to crisis. You can get away with science mumbo jumbo because there's going to be all sorts of crazy events going there. The episode title kind of made sense there because we're in this state of purgatory as we lead into crisis where Oliver's still doubting what his future is and his kids are starting to come to realize oh he's going to die here even though they tried to fool themselves otherwise specifically mia which is part of her arc this episode and then they're stuck in limbo and you kind of get out of limbo just as you come to accept that uh crisis is here purgatory good episode name i thought purgatory was directly related to or in addition to everything else was directly related to these characters that were coming back to life after 10 years like they were stuck in purgatory and had come back to life. That's fair too. Although the whole Mia thing. Okay. For those that have listened and watched the Starling Tribune for a while, you heard me rant last week for almost the entire show on reset and how badly the story was told in there. This episode did a little bit to redeem that storyline. You got Diggle's take on it. Finally, you got a little bit more of Lila, but I still, I don't have any trust in the monitor. I really don't. There is nothing that the monitor has done up to this point that makes me trust him and that he is doing something that is, he's not sharing his plan with any, he's preparing everybody, but he's not sharing his plan. I don't think that's something that endears trust. So there's an interesting fan theory going around that I really like and credit to the arrow subreddit for this one. That is, we know the monitor and the anti-monitor are going to be involved. And the thought is that perhaps you are seeing two monitors out and about with different plans or seemingly different plans for people because the anti-monitor is posing as the monitor and manipulating people in his own way to try and end everything. So that's one of the cool fan theories going around is, is there's two monitors. One's the actual monitor, one's the anti-monitor that are positioning people in crisis, which kind of would sort of make sense off of the way Oliver's been yanked in seemingly different directions and stuff like that. So perhaps that distrust is because we've had to deal with a fake monitor at some point in time and nobody really knows better. I think it's an interesting theory. I don't think it'll be the case. I think they're just treating the monitor as a character who is plans within plans and I can't share my plans because if I do, something's going to go wrong. And the only person he fully trusts is himself to try and execute things once he's moved people into position. So after hearing my rants last week... Mark Guggenheim got on the phone with me. Of course he did. He's like, buddy, here's what's going on. We've got one big final reveal before next week. Yeah, he, he called me to tell me this. And he said, don't worry. The big reveal will explain everything. And I was like, okay, can I quote you on this? And he said, no, no, you can't. So I'm talking about it anyway. And no, he did not call me. What I'm referencing is a tweet that he made online because... There were a couple of things that happened in the news this week 
There are the his Twitter feed, basically. First of all, we see the green arrow in the S in Crisis, finally, whereas before there was just a, the arrow shield. Now we actually see Oliver Queen in there. And then secondly, somebody was asking if there was anything else secret to come out beforehand. And we've speculated on this for a while. And he said, no, we got one more big thing. And I think what they're waiting for is the bulk of people to have watched all these episodes on streaming and or on their DVRs or whatever. They have to know the numbers of where that tails off. Like, is is it the first 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever? So as we're recording this, who knows? Mark Guggenheim might be tweeting about what the big news is or, or whatever. They've released it to their news outlet of choice. One of those things could be the fact that the monitor and the anti-monitor have basically been played by the same character. Garrett Lamont, is that his name? Give me a minute. I don't remember, but I will IMDB that real quick. (laughs) Yeah. And anyway, it, it could be. So I don't know if it's that or something else, but that could be a big uh, announcement. I was hoping they'd be a big announcement like Michael Keaton. We're going to see him or, you know, something like that. But And the actor's name is LaMonica Garrett, who is playing the monitor. I wanted to double check and make sure I got that right. Now, remember, we did find out they are doing nice little mentions of 1989 Batman, where they talk about Bruce Wayne getting married on the front page of the Gotham Gazette with a photo of uh, Michael Keaton Batman. So there, there are those nice little subtle nods, and I'm sure there's going to be Easter eggs galore once Crisis starts that we're going to enjoy plucking out of there and be like, oh, did you guys catch this one? What about this one and that one? And I'm sure there'll be people screen capping and like marking things up. Be like, here's something you missed in this second and a half that it was on screen. It's going to be fun, guys. We haven't had an Easter egg segment on this show for quite some time. For those long-term listeners, you know what I'm talking about. If you're new to the Starling Tribune, what we used to do is we'd go into the episodes and we'd pick out those Easter eggs within the episode that were long-time comics-related or something that was a reference to something that was DC-related. And we just haven't done that for a while. I'm looking forward to maybe bringing that back during Crisis because we are taking it one episode at a time and we will have a chance to watch each episode multiple times. Maybe not the first one, but the rest of them, we definitely will. Right. So stay tuned. I'm sure we'll be nitpicking a bunch of things out in addition to Twitter and Reddit and all of the other social medias out there because we're all going to collectively geek out. Oh, yeah. This is this is totally a fan moment. And I'm just going to watch these episodes as a fan to begin with and just geek out because like i said i've been podcasting on this for seven years it's time to sit back and enjoy the ride for the last few episodes all right let's talk about the fight scenes and the stunts because i don't know about you but i think there was more cgi in this episode than we've had all season so far you mean the airplane wasn't real no i think the airplane was real i I just think the the plume i think the missile was real the anti-aircraft missile was real i think the plume behind the missile was cgi did yeah i think so too okay so yeah the plane was hit by a missile and took a wing off and miraculously they were still flying a little bit now they did crash (laughs) so okay but yeah, you lose a wing and, and you're going into one of those top gun flat spins it's not gonna be recoverable Right, so that's the plane we're talking about that has Dinah, Renee, and Roy on it. They're bringing the radioactive material to Leanne Yu so that William can make a super weapon with 2019 technology with what he knows from 2040-ish. And a Back to the Future stolen plutonium rod. 
from the Libyans. It was from the Libyans. I was going to say, did we get it from the Libyans? <laughs> they didn't say where they were, did they? Was it Star City that they were in? I don't remember. I mean, with aero time lapse and travel, you know, where it takes 30 seconds to get from one side of the earth to the other. Eh, I don't know. Anyway, another thing that happened was we went way back. So we were speculating on who we we're going to see in this episode and who we weren't going to see. I mentioned that we might see Deathstroke himself. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We talked about Shadow. We didn't get Shadow or her sister, but we did get two characters that I were not expecting, and that was Edward Fryers and Billy Wintergreen. How'd you like them apples, Chris? I thought that was delightful, and if you called that, anyone called that, uh, send me the Twitter proof or something like that, because I don't think anyone was expecting Billy Wintergreen and Edward Fryers to show up again. Those are two characters we haven't seen since season one of Arrow. And in fact, I had to pause for a second when he came on screen and started talking because the actor has a very distinct voice who's playing Fires. And I had to pause and go, what's this character's name? What was this character's name? Oh, crap, it's going to come to me here in just a second. But what a cool little reveal adds to the symmetry of what we're seeing this season where you go back to season one, how everything was set up. We're kind of going a reverse path through this season eight leading up to Crisis where it all starts on Lian Yu. It's all ending on Lian Yu with a lot of the same characters like Fires, Billy Wintergreen, and Oliver Queen. That was a cool moment, and the fight that ensued when they came to come and steal the radioactive material was pretty fun. And you even got Oliver Queen talking about that moment of, I'm not quite the same man you used to know, because remember, the Oliver that Fires met was the scared, rich boy who didn't know how to fight, didn't know how to shoot a bow and arrow. It was a guy, and now he's former Ra's al Ghul, leader of the League of Assassins, who has beaten Ra's al Ghul in a duel, who has helped the legends travel through time. He's fought off alien invaders. He's a very seasoned fighter, and I'm pretty sure that Fire's uh, soldiers are chump-changed all over Queen at this point in time. One person that you did call last week was Yao Fei. I think you mentioned Yao Fei specifically, so I'll give that to you, Chris, which was great. I did bring up Yao Fei just because I did not think they would be bringing him back as a ghost, for lack of a better term. I figured it would be like a flashback or something like that, or Oliver would find a message or something from Yao Fei. But the fact that they are able to bring him back with all of these other ghosts of Fires, Billy, and all of their soldiers, it was awesome. And you get that cool superhero shot at the end of everyone lined up. And there at the end is Yao Fei. And I'm like, this is something I never expected I would see. In season one of Era, I was never thinking, oh, we're going to have like, eight superheroes fighting together on Lian Yu against a bunch of super soldiers and Yao Fei is going to be right next to him and they're all in costumes and uniforms and he's got his beat to hell green hood with his scraggly beard from having been abandoned there so long it was so cool to see and something I never expected and you have to wonder what the showrunners and the writers thought right now I feel like is anyone going to predict this because I don't think anyone quite predicted that moment they might have predicted Yao Fei showing up in some way shape or form considering we've had a lot of characters from the past returning, but no way did anyone call the superhero lineup shot. And I'll give Yao Fei the moment where he burned them out with the compass, you know, the, the mirror from the compass that burned the ropes. But I got two things to say to Yao Fei and Oliver. For those of you that are on uh, audio, SP just busted out two pocket knives. These knives will cut through those ropes. And, you know, Oliver, Stephen Amell, he's in there. He, you could just tell he was hamming it up. He was like, going back and forth against the thing and, and not 
get I don't know if his knife was really dull or what, but I'm like, yeah, if that's a sharp knife, it's going it's cutting through that cord. I don't care what that cord's made of. It's cutting through cord. Now you might have to cut through a lot of the cord in order to open up a space to fall out through, but you're gonna make it through that. So anyway, I just thought that was a little cheesy. I did enjoy that moment though of Yao Fei and Oliver Queen raiding the camp where they think fires and his men are gonna be getting trapped in that net and they're kind of just stuck there. And Yao Fei at first you're like, oh, he's just resigned to it. And then you realize his plan is he's waiting for the sun to come so he can use that to burn the rope. But he's sitting there telling Oliver, he goes, Well, you may have changed a lot over the years, but some things remain the same, which is you have no patience. You need to have patience. And then he just gets rewarded by the fact he's like, do 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 do. Oh. Here, here's why your patience pays off. Let me burn through this rope in a matter of like 10 seconds with a reflection off of a pocket knife onto my compass. And it was just a cool moment. And again, kind of a nice callback and homage to season one where Oliver then had no fighting skills, but also suffered from a lack of patience. And one could argue that is a problem he's had throughout his entire run on the show. And Yao Fei, who saw him at the very beginning, can still see that that's one of his fundamental problems. The one moment I was missing from this episode was Yao Fei teaching Mia how to slap water. I really wish they would have had that moment. They need to have Roy. Oh, wait. Uh, Oh, you went there. Okay. (laughs) So you did have Oliver catching an arrow, which we haven't seen a whole heck of a lot. We have seen a few times in this season, but... When we first saw it, it was a heck of a trick. Now, I'm glad they use it sparringly because we've seen it enough over the course of these years. And yeah, was going for the kill shot because that arrow, even though it was CGI, was aimed at Oliver's head. So I'm glad he caught the arrow. And you got to remember, if you're Yao Fei, I don't know if you necessarily recognize the Oliver Queen from 2019 compared to the Oliver Queen of, what was that, 2009? 12 years ago. Yeah. Okay, so 2007. Yeah, seven. That's when they first met. Yao Fei actually made it through the first season or did he die at the end of the first season? He died at the end of the first season. He died in the first season and then Shadow was still alive and then she died in season two, which was part of the Deathstroke fallout. Right. So you did have that epic battle, I guess, at the end where you had that superhero shot, that superhero lineup, and you had the bad guys lined up, which we got to talk about the bad guys lineup for a little bit because Billy Wintergreen serves two purposes in this episode. First of all, it's a callback to Billy himself, but also Billy's outfit, because it's Australian Special Forces, is the exact same outfit as Deathstroke. So you think that Deathstroke is right there. Until you remember, oh yeah, Slade's mask was far cooler than the uh, Billy Wintergreen mask on the island. That's true. I mean, it was the old mask. Yeah. But the fight was pretty cool. It wasn't a continuous shot. Like the fight at the end of Reset that I talked about last week was far better because it was a single shot. And yes, while you still had stuntmen coming in and out, I think that was a better representation of the fight than the quick cuts that they had in this episode. But I mean, it's an epic fight. You had a lot of superheroes battling a lot of bad guys. So, you know, that was pretty cool up until the time where Lila actually activates the device. Which we don't think it's going to be Lila that has to do that. All, all As William is putting the machine together, they realize there's a DNA lock on it that he wasn't sure whose DNA it was and he thought it was extraneous code. So in order to turn it on, they need someone's DNA. And everyone, of course, assumes, oh, it's Oliver because Oliver's been the one that's had this mission to do everything. Oliver seems to play a special role in the monitor's mind of how things are to come. So he leaves the fight. 
He leaves the fight. And I th- who, someone comes with him. I can't remember. Was it Diggle that comes? Yeah, Diggle comes back with him. Diggle and Oliver come back to the tent to go and start the weapon. And Oliver grabs it. And then you kind of get this pause. And he looks down at his hand. Look, well, it's not doing anything. And they go, and they're like, oh, oh, who isn't? You realize, oh, it's Lila. And Lila activates the weapon, kind of kills off the ghosts, for lack of a better term, and then departs. And you go, oh, boy, the poo just hit the fan here because we have no idea what's going on. Right, so let's back up a second. So when Oliver's DNA didn't activate the device, and it was before they basically verbalized that Lila was it, who did you think's DNA was going to open it? I honestly thought it was going to be Lila, because they had to find a way to get her to become super-powered, because we know they're going to have Lila in costume with powers of some kind for Crisis, like they'd told us. And I assumed that some... I didn't think it was necessarily the weapon itself, but maybe the aftermath of what the weapon did would cause something in my personal head canon was that she would be injured by it so the monitor would come to retrieve his servant and then when she was away a consequence of what happened would be she would become powered to survive so i wasn't quite right in how that happened in my own personal thought but i was close i thought it was going to be mia that's fair and that's a good theory too I, i mean i could have seen mia being one of the possible solutions i could have seen oliver and if you wanted the real twist i could have seen it being diggle and then tease me some Green Lantern-y goodness because... Oh, that would have been good. The only cure for what's been done for him is somewhere out in space. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm up with that. Yeah, that would have been cool too. But since the whole episode was I need to create a world in 2014 for my kids, I thought taking away one of the kids would have been a really big blow to Oliver and i don't know if that would have fit in the storyline of crisis whatsoever because we don't know what that storyline is right now but i could have seen that in that one moment that's where my head went was like oh who's it gonna be mia i could see that you could argue that that world might be being created now we don't have to touch on this at this point in the episode now but it looks to me that the future has been completely rewritten as of this episode i would say so especially with Roy. now let's talk about roy right Let's talk about, because Roy's future is forever changed, unless Crisis actually changed it. Roy gets pinned in the aircraft crash underneath landing gear from not the plane that they were flying, but let's leave that alone. So he's pinned underneath landing gear, and they need to go because the bad guys are coming, and they're going to kill everybody. So they say, okay, I know one, Connor says, I know one way we can do this is cut off his arm, and everybody's like, no, there's got to be another way. Which gets back to Diggle needing... I thought this was all a lesson for Diggle, but it wasn't. Because I thought this was to tell Diggle that sometimes you just got to roll with the consequences. And it might have ended up that way, but it wasn't the same as the alternative universe that we saw last week that taught Oliver and uh, Laurel their lessons. But you have the arm that gets chopped off. I mean, they did... I cringe. Did you cringe when you saw that? Yes. Now, I had seen what Colton Haynes had said on Twitter that day, which was something to the effect of, hey, all you comic book fans of Arrow, there's going to be a moment you're going to like today. And I went, ooh, what could it be? And there's a big arc where Roy loses his arm in the comics, eventually gets it replaced with a robotic one. But it's a fairly big arc, both in Young Justice, the actual comics themselves, things like that. So I was like, are they actually going to finally pull the trigger on this? that Roy loses his arm. So I I was sort of thinking 
that something like that was going to happen, but they pulled no punches with that. I mean, in the look on uh, David Ramsey's face as he's like, Roy, I got you. Hold on. He's got like both his hands around Roy's left hand and he's kind of holding on to him. Oh, a powerful moment. Uh, very, very uh, good acting there by David Ramsey because you could just, you could see how in the character's eyes, he's like, oh, he's shaken, but he's got to try and be there for his friend and how he blames himself in this moment because Roy would have still been off on his own if Diggle hadn't brought him in on this and then arguably changed his future then and then completely changed the future you could say now. Uh, yeah, I, I can't argue with any of that. What I did think of, though, was the robotic arm. And I thought, what are the pathways forward that we could see with this? And one of the pathways forward was that William creates something. And then let's not forget that both Felicity and Curtis have been involved in human engineering biotech in the past. Don't also forget the magician himself, Malcolm Merlin, had a robotic arm also, or robotic hand. So the technology exists, and there is also the Legends of Tomorrow with Gideon, advanced technology, and things like that that could potentially develop something for him. So What an easy fix. You put Roy in the chair and Gideon regrows an arm. Can't she do that? Hasn't it been done before, like regrowing a finger or something? I don't remember. I'd have to go back and look. But at the very least, they would have access to advanced technology that could arguably be used to create a new arm for Roy. And the real question is, and I haven't paid enough attention to what's going on on set or any of the casting rumors, is Colton Haynes appearing in Crisis? If he is, I would argue we're going to see Roy with a robotic arm so that he can participate in things. Unless it's a Roy from a different Earth where he didn't lose an arm. But I'm really hoping we get the payoff of Colton Haynes in the full Arsenal getup with the robotic arm. Similar to how we got the uh, green arrow of what was it, 2046 on uh, Legends of Tomorrow where Oliver Queen had a robotic arm and was out there doing cool things. I, I just want to see it. I think it would be awesome. Uh, it'd be great. And like I mentioned, it certainly seems like with what's been going on here. They have rewritten the future that we saw in all the season seven flash forwards in the beginning of season eight because the Roy we met there had both arms. And we get in this episode, Connor telling Lila and uh, John, oh, the founders of Nightwatch or whatever. Well, Lila's super powered now and seemingly not necessarily going to be around as much. So not around to potentially found that. And then Oliver at the end, when he's having his moment with Diggle saying, when this is all over, tell Felicity, I want my kids to know each other, basically. They have done everything they can to reshape the future so that the future post-apocalyptic world that we had in season seven doesn't necessarily come to pass. And now the real question of what you have to deal with is, as a fan, do you feel like you just wasted your time with all the flash forwards? Because an argument could be made of, well, you sort of got me invested, then I didn't care as much at the beginning of season eight because it obviously seemed like you're going to do a spinoff. Maybe I don't care as much about the ham-fisted season eight stuff now because it set these characters up to be in a whole new world. I don't know how I feel about the rewrite of time, but I think I like what it's going to do. I'll have to use an analogy here. I was going to ask you the question. I was going to watch you squirm to try to answer it, but I'll use an analogy here and it's in the comic book universes. So recently there is a great Robotech reboot basically it was i mean it was a telling again of robotech via the comics and i'm a big robotech fan if you don't know what robotech is in the 80s there were three different japanese anime series that were brought together in one cohesive story from front to end 
that was shown in, I believe, uh, those two, uh, 124 episodes or something like that in total. And it was just half an hour after school. Well, in my area, anyway, it was broadcast after school saga that aired. And there was some books that came out afterwards that are, you know, extended universe, whatever you want to call it, that really tied everything together. So it was to this day, it's still in my mind, one of the most epic sci-fi sagas that was ever out there. And you just got to get past the Lindman May singing to really experience it the way I did. But in the comic books, what they did is they transitioned to an alternative universe after they told their story. They said, okay, we're going to take this in a different way. So they went in an alternative universe. And I'm like, huh, this isn't everything I knew about it. And I get it with all the other sci-fi stuff out there with the Star Trek, with the J.J. Abrams reboot. There was a bunch of people that said, hey, you know, this isn't my original Star Trek. And the same thing could be said about the people with the original series with The Next Generation when that came out. Hey, this is not my Star Trek. And I will argue that TNG beats the original series hands down any day of the week and twice on Sunday. So I'm I'm glad they had it. It took them a while to get there, but they did get there. I've learned through all of this that you just have to kind of go with it. Now, that said, we'll set that aside and we'll go directly to the flash forwards here. The question that you asked me that I wish I would have asked you. (laughs) Do I feel like I have wasted my time watching the flash forwards? 95% yes, I do. But I do realize in the back of my mind that without those stories, I would not get the storyline that we have today with Oliver, with his kids in crisis you just wouldn't have gotten that without the flash forwards i think that's the payoff of the flash forwards and as clunky as they may have seemed especially in season eight i like that we get that moment there and maybe part of why i'm not as upset or bothered by the fact you could argue it's potentially a waste of time is because with crisis coming i fully expected crisis to basically reset everything across the board i didn't know to what way shape or form but I assumed it would do something in the future to reset things, even if it was just to make it so that Zoe never died. Now, it looks like it's going to do a whole lot of different things to reshape the future now, seeing as fundamental differences have occurred. So maybe just the nature of this mega event made it so that I was less annoyed by uh, everything changing so much, because it's crisis. If you go and read the comics, it was a launching point to kind of reshape the universe and correct things that a lot of the comic book writers early on had done that didn't make sense in the modern canon and i think we're going to see a lot of similar course corrections post-crisis as well so not only do you have william and mia that hopefully will grow up together you also have the strife that is going on between connor and jj you could go back and fix that i mean they didn't verbalize it in this episode but that's a direct correlation between the two whole bunch of things can be fixed you could get sarah back Sarah Diggle, by the way, you could get the original Sarah back. I mean, uh, you wouldn't want it because Captain Sarah Lance is awesome the way she is right now. Again, you could see Sarah with her dad, Quentin. She did not get that goodbye. We keep on bringing that up. I think that's got to be a payoff with this crisis. I hope I hope it really is. I hope Beth Schwartz took that note from the point where Sarah shows up, doesn't say a word, and her dad is dead, and she doesn't get to say goodbye to her dad or hello or anything like that before he goes into surgery. I hope they get to correct. So I'm going into this with not wanting to change a lot of the great storylines that we have seen, but the stuff that we have heartache with 
this could be an opportunity to change it, not to minimize what happened, but to change it for fan service alone. Yep. It's going to be interesting to see how it all develops. And I kind of wanted to throw that theory out there, mostly because I'm still unsure how I feel about all the future stuff in light of the rewriting of things. I think I'm kind of happy that the terrible future may not come to pass. I think, like I said, I still just am not 100% sure how I feel. I hope that the kids can remember what had happened before so that when they're returned to that future that's not as messed up, it's kind of that shocking moment of, what the hell happened here? And you've got a fish out of water moment because I think if nobody remembers what had happened before, that would bother me. Because then that means effectively these cool moments we got between Mia and Oliver and adult William and his father, where they kind of get to know each other again and to build some kind of relationship that was missed out on because Oliver's presumably dead. That technically didn't happen if they return to the future and then they magically get brought into that current timeline where they don't remember those things. And I, I don't want those awesome character moments to not exist because one of the things I've loved about this season is the interaction with Oliver and between Oliver and adult William, both the actors there, they play off of each other really well. And you, you would believe that Oliver queen is his father, even though they're probably fairly close in age in real life. The actors, William had this great moment where he said, you know, I've, forgave everything 20 years ago for you it's been a year for me it's been 20 and i'm past all that now that was a, a really big moment that i think needed to happen before you go into crisis and the moments he had with mia at the gravesite, I, I i was wondering both the kids should be there but then i thought no if you're going to pass the torch to mia this was the scene to pass the torch to mia i mean if you're going to have another show and mia is going to be your oliver replacement in the new show you had to have that moment I'm glad they had them on. I realize they got two episodes after Crisis, but I have no idea what's going to happen during Crisis. There's some nice symmetry here, though, because remember, one of the first places Oliver has an actual conversation with me in the future is outside of his father's grave at the Queen Manor. And here he's at his father's grave on Lian Yu, where Mia and Oliver have another breakthrough between each other and kind of see where they're coming from. And you kind of see Mia realize that Oliver's not really choosing to not be there. He he makes a sacrifice and he's a hero and a very powerful and well done moment there where she's like, I knew you're a hero. It all makes sense, but I kind of resented you and hated you just for not being there. It's something he can't control, but it's a very human thing for someone to react that way to hear these stories about their father growing up and how he's a hero, but kind of resent the fact that because of his her heroism, never knew your father. Just hear the stories. I I thought it was well done. And it made me kind of do an about face on Mia. At first, this episode, I was like, man, she's being awful bratty. And I'm like, I'm assuming that's just over, it's her insecurities talking, things like that. But you don't feel sympathy for her at first because you see from Oliver's perspective and William's perspective that Oliver's really trying. He's trying to do right by his kids. He's trying, but he knows his time is short and that she's not really receptive to it. And then you find out it's because she's scared to have that relationship with him just to lose him because she's never known him. And the moments between Stephen Amell and the actors playing his kids this season have been very good. Some of the most human moments we've seen in regards to Oliver Queen throughout this entire series. And I think I said this last episode, I don't think Stephen Amell could have pulled that off in season one of this show. I don't think he could have at all. He has grown a ton as an actor and it's just well done. Their eyes speak volumes in these, in these emotional moments, this episode. Is he the best actor ever? No, but yeah, I would agree that 
he has grown quite a bit. And I would hope so, being the leading role for not only the show, but for the Arrowverse. I mean, we call it Arrowverse for a reason. We've had that discussion before. Another thing that I wanted to point out with that conversation is he said, I, I wouldn't be the man I was today without these mistakes in the past. And that, again, spoke volumes to answer your question on the flash forwards. We wouldn't have the kids. We wouldn't have Connor and Mia and William here for those moments had we not had the flash forward. So while I do feel like they were useless now because all the future has changed, I still think we needed them. Maybe not as much, but how do you sprinkle that in over a season and a half? I don't know. Yeah. You have to have those flash forwards. You have to. And I don't know if they knew that they were going to get these moments back when they started the flash forwards or not, but I'm glad they built up to it. One other thing that I wanted to talk about with you, and we discussed this before we went live on the record, was the whole absence of felicity. Now, I think that if any episode in the regular season could have used a felicity character, this would have been it. However, in our discussions, Chris, you brought up several points of why not having Felicity in this episode was a good thing. Well, and one of them, which I don't think I mentioned when we were discussing that, is not having her here makes William stand on his own to be the tech support and the one that develops that weapon and reinforces the fact that he's a power in of him in and of himself doing these things. Considering how much down I was on the character of William as a child, especially near the end of how they had him in there. Just a little brat. Yeah, the, the fact that the current iteration of William I like so much, it, it kind of boggles my mind. <laughs> you, you know, it's kind of the opposite of what we had in Star Wars with little Anakin. So I like the, the Phantom Menace little Anakin I kind of like. Then in retrospect, you learn a lot about how he was either told to act or not told to act. So it made him feel... Not like the cute little kid that I took across, but kind of cold and distant. But then you get the Hayden Christensen version of the character, which I thought was just an entire brat. And then you get the the big monster of the James Earl Jones voice, dun, 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 you know, and it's a reverse character development because you started off with that same bratty kid, but yet you have this really capable hero how call him a hero really capable hero that has one of the most pleasant dispositions on the show and that's a stark contrast to his moody dad and it's so great to see him and if it wasn't for that if it wasn't for this actor and how he's playing william i probably would still hate that character too i mean that, that's completely fair because i think you and i are both on the same hand or same opinion of that child william really wasn't working at the end which is why they effectively wrote him out yeah I, nothing against the actor it was just the position. it was the character wasn't working yeah, yeah nothing against the child actor who was playing william so do you have anything else you want to talk about this episode i mean we covered a lot of ground but there's a lot of ground to cover i mean uh renee and dinah they were there they didn't really play a big role in things i i enjoyed the moment we had between oliver and laurel where he's like man i never really expected it to be the two of us working together, marching through this jungle, which kind of reinforced the fact that not our Laurel, but these two characters have a better relationship and work better on screen than Laurel from Earth One ever did with Oliver Queen, I think. Season one, those two actors together, you would never have thought that they would have ended up in the woods in Lian Yu season eight like they were. I mean, they 
comic book wise, these two were supposed to end up together and you could have all the arguments against it. But when the show started, that's what everybody was thinking, that these two would get together. It didn't go that way. And once you realize that in season one and season two, to get the Laura we have now, which is technically not the same Laura we had in season one, to get where they were now. And that was just neat. I mean, Beth Schwartz. You did a great job and bam, bam, you did a great job directing this episode to get all these great scenes and it took eight years to get to these scenes. So thank, <laughs> thank you very much. I want to bring up as well, Lila, she is now Harbinger. I mean, the Harbinger from the comics, not just the call sign Harbinger. What'd you think of that reveal when she came back? Of course, we saw her go in when she activated the device into the wormhole. She comes back out. She's got the new outfit, supposedly some new superpowers. What'd you think? It was sooner than I expected, but it was a cool moment. And she was played differently enough. You wonder how many similarities or how much of the Lila we knew is still in this, in this new character. And it'll be interesting and potentially heartbreaking for John to see what has happened to his wife. Heartbreaking. He's like, Hey baby, bring that outfit into the bedroom. Well, but more of what I was getting at is if the creation of the Harbinger persona erases lila or if it's just lila with powers who's kind of positioned herself a little differently and as a side note is how much time has passed since lila went in that portal and then came back to see them again now for us it's a matter of minutes but for her has it been years days months 10 minutes they could very easily play with time travel here a little bit for her to be the harbinger who is trying to help uh the monitor put everyone in position I just want to say one last thing on the contrast between Flash and Arrow and how Crisis began. So the sky turns red. You know, it's the antimatter that is starting to infiltrate Earth-1. And that is what the red means. In the Flash, it was the stroke of midnight. So since we're on the same Earth, we'll just assume that it's the stroke of midnight when they're on Leon Yu, when it happened. But the team in Flash is at the star labs they're in the lounge area i think which has windows that overlook the city so they're watching this red that comes up right at midnight i assume it's midnight on lian yu and the red just comes over everybody and oliver thinks he's got time to get back to the mainland via boat so he's thinking he's got you got to think it's a couple days at least if not a week so he thinks he's got a little bit of time he doesn't have time it happens right then and there He's got days left potentially in his mind and timetable moves up, but he's already said all his goodbyes. He's already prepared himself for this crisis and Harbinger was there. I kind of wanted the monitor show up, but he probably only had the actor probably only had so many appearances that he was contracted for. And so they used Harbinger in this particular case versus the monitor. Okay. Last week was probably the weakest episode of season eight for Arrow for me. This one was a great redemption. I don't think it was the best episode, but it was top three or four. What'd you think? It was very good. It's one of the best they've done this season. I don't know that it's necessarily the best this season, but I don't think it has to be because this season is so good. I, I like the symmetry of coming back to Lian Yu to getting these ghosts from the past, like I mentioned in the show, the return of Billy Wintergreen and Fires. I, I didn't see it coming. It blew my mind, and I enjoyed the hell out of it. I really liked where they went with this. I liked how they set Oliver up with 
putting all of his last requests in place, kind of accepting the fact that, okay, this is one of the last things we do before crisis, and being ready to progress and see what happens to him come crisis. Uh, I really like this episode a lot. Right, that's it. That is the coverage of the Starling Tribune pre-crisis. Chris, what do we have next week? Well, not even next week. Sunday, December 8th, 2019, we start Crisis on Infinite Earths with part one of the five-part crossover. This is technically Supergirl Season 5, Episode 9. What is going to happen this week? The Monitor sends Harbinger to gather the world's greatest heroes. Supergirl, The Flash, Green Arrow, Batwoman, White Canary, The Atom, and Superman in preparation for the impending crisis. With their worlds in imminent danger, the superheroes suit up for battle, while Jean and Alex recruit Lena to help them find a way to save the people of Earth-38. Directed by Jesse Warren and written by Robert L. Rovner, with story by credits of Derek Simon and a teleplay, teleplay excuse me, by Mark Guggenheim. This is... This is Crisis. It's, it's big boy time. We got a whole bunch of poo that's going to hit the fan here. And I can't wait to see what happens. The one detriment I'll say about the way that they do these crossovers is that there is no place that I've ever seen that you can go and stream all of these crisis episodes or all these crossover episodes in one place. Once they're gone from the CW app, which, you know, five episodes down the road, they'll they'll be gone. You will not be able to get them in one place ever again, at least that's judging by what's happened before. So if you want these, if you want to see them all, you know, record them, make sure you're watching them as many times as you can on the CW app, maybe purchase the episodes individually yep. somewhere so that you have these five hours of crossovers. It's just a little tidbit. That's a heads up to you on how this is going to roll. And you're going to want to see these episodes multiple times. I very much agree. All right, Chris. That's it for this week. We don't have any news. We talked about a little bit of the tidbits during the actual discussion for the episode. So we're just going to move on. And what do we got going on here? Well, guys, we're going to shut things down. Don't worry. We'll be back soon with more crisis coverage. So big thank you to our live listeners slash viewers over in the Geeks.Live chat room. I saw Water Tiger 2075 and Liberty Dude in there. So thanks for joining us. Don't forget, you can catch us live or you can download the back catalog audio episodes over at StarlingTribune.com or video replays over at YouTube.com slash Gonna Geek. If you happen to want to join in our discussion, I alluded to it before last week. We have a Discord channel that is on our Gonna Geek Discord server, which we have had a lot of pre-crisis conversations on. You can find that at gunnageek.com slash discord. It's in the Starling Tribune channel in there. Come join us. Come vent. Come have your therapy sessions. We're going to be talking about these episodes one at a time. So when we talk about Crisis next week, it will only be that Supergirl episode that Chris alluded to before. It won't be the other two that air during the week. We're going to want to talk about it, but we're going to hold ourselves back because we're going to take them one at a time. We basically talked two episodes this week. We talked Arrow and we talked 
all of the other crisis stuff simultaneously. It made for a long episode. So that's what we're in for for the next few weeks. If you need to get something off your chest, come to our Discord server. We will help you through those times until we talk about it on the podcast. And remember, you can catch us as we record live on Crisis over the next three weeks at geeks.live, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific on Thursdays. We would also love to hear from you in other locations. We can be found on Facebook as the Starling Tribune and Instagram. And also over on Twitter, we're at Starling Tribune, not the Starling Tribune, just at Starling Tribune. And we still have an active voicemail. You can call us at 612-888-CAVE. That's Arrow Cave, by the way. 612-888-CAVE. Or 612-888-2283. Chris, that was a great episode. I had a lot of fun talking with you. I regret that Michelle couldn't join us tonight. And she regrets that she couldn't be here. But it was plans that were made weeks and weeks ago. But that wraps it up. Any last words before we sign off, Chris? Hashtag... We're rewriting the future, Haas. And I am at Stargate Pioneer, signing off with hashtag It's Crisis Time. Oracle, we're done here. This was the Starling Tribune. You can leave us feedback at gunnageek.com or check out our archive at starlingtribune.com. Visit gunnageek.com for more podcasts. Music by Kevin McLeod can be found at incompetech.com. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, stories, and situations are the property of Time Warner. No infringement is intended. We will see you for the next episode of CW's Arrow.